0: Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor pod, how we doing? You may have noticed that the podcast was hard to find last week, and that's because we're on a new platform. So if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, you need to resubscribe. So go ahead. Hit that button. Um, Same as if you're on Spotify. What's going on, Simon? I sound like a YouTuber who's like, uh, like and subscribe my vid.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, it's important. I mean, it helps people uh, find us and just reach more people and get more questions, more content. You know, it's just a spinning wheel. But uh, yeah, but on my end, I'm doing great. Just kind of crappy day outside, but that's fall in Canada. So uh, it is what it is, right?
0: (laughs) It's fall in Ottawa. Let's, uh, let's not get twisted. All right. Today, had to throw a quick stab. Today, we are talking about a couple of different buckets of stocks, and then we're going to pitch a few names based on that, that bucket, or, or to just stay away uh, in some cases. So the first bucket is MAGA, not to be confused with, of course, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and Apple, not the other MAGA and this is a, a bucket of stocks that are all trillion in market cap. So like the mega caps of the world. And I posed a poll on my Twitter at Bredo Capital, by the way, of which one would you hold forever? If you had to just pick one, uh, the results were the following Google at 16%, Amazon at 19%, Apple at 31% and in the lead, Microsoft. Microsoft. At 34%, Simon, if you're answering this poll, you get to own one. What are you doing?
1: Um, I mean I think I think I would probably go with uh Microsoft or Apple and that's um I think they're all great companies to be honest overall if you're looking really at the metrics how profitable they are um the valuation might be a bit rich but valuation aside just strictly looking at the companies they're highly profitable um for me it's more of a governance standpoint and uh I'm not a fan Generally, how Amazon and Google tend to be run from a governance standpoint, they don't give uh, Google, I mean, as well as they do, they really don't give a bleep about their uh, shareholder rights and votes with the dual class thing going on. Um, And speaking of governance, we'll be doing a um, ESG episode the next few episodes, so uh, we'll talk a bit more about that. But that's more of a personal belief, and it's fine to invest uh, in what you believe in. So for me, it would be Microsoft or Apple.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I, 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 I can get that. And any, there's no wrong answer here. I mean, come on. They're all worth over a trillion dollars in market cap. These are the ultimate cash generators of our generation and are worth so much because of how good quality of companies they are. Um, but for me, I'm going Google. Uh, You you mentioned expensive, but Facebook and Google, I know we're not talking about Facebook here, but Facebook and Google only trade at 20 times and 21 times uh, 21 earnings per share, which is not very expensive when you scan the market. They're actually in line with current PEs pretty much and trading on a forward basis pretty cheaply. So Google has generated insane compound annual growth rates like just it's insane i mean they're they're that massive for a reason so over 21 percent on revenue 10-year compound annual growth and trading at six times sales it's it's not outrageous for a company of this quality the margins are insane but if you look at the look-through earnings for the real cash generators of the search business and youtube it's pretty remarkable And now that they're actually separating the different income streams on their financial reporting, which took shareholders a long time for them to actually start doing that, uh, it's interesting to see how fast YouTube and cloud is growing and just the monster that the search business is. I think with the search business and YouTube alone, just that ad business, the rest of their what they call other bets and cloud, you could argue you almost get it for free. I've done some math on this. I'm not going to go into detail into it too much. But this business, if you're talking about moat, every single person uses a Google product multiple times a day. It's, It's an incredible company. Uh, eighteen point seven percent return on invested capital the last ten years. What's not to like? Uh, Simon, renewables. You love this space. What are what are some some uh, some companies you look at here?
1: Uh, yeah, renewables. I mean, uh, there's definitely uh, Brookfield uh, Renewable Partners or Brookfield. Ren- BPC, I guess, uh, the corporation, and I'll talk a bit more about that uh, later on in the episode because we've had questions about the discrepancy between the BEP, the limited partnership, and BPC, so I'll keep that for the end of the episode. Um, aside from that, uh, Intergex Renewable is uh, is an interesting one. It's a Canadian company. They have a big presence in Europe, uh, mostly hydro, solar, and wind, and um, Aside from that, there is uh, Alta, sorry, I'm just kind of going blank right here. Uh, Transalta Renewables. Transalta. I, I was like, yeah, you're not talking like,
0: about Alta Gas, are you? No, yeah, no, trans no. Alta. So
1: Transalta Renewables another interesting place. So you kind of see my pattern in terms of renewable energies. I do like the kind of uh, you know stable companies that are not necessarily producing the equipment, but they have guaranteed contracts. They have increases that are oftentimes included in those contracts that increase over time really stable cash flows, and really it gives you a nice play on renewable energy uh, without the lumps and bumps of certain producers of equipments, more specifically um, when you're looking at uh, solar panel companies. So those are almost kind of commodity. So I would personally stay away from those, uh, but I do know that the wind turbine system, those, I think it's almost a duopoly. You might know a bit more about those than I do, Brayden.
0: I, Vestas being one of the biggest one, and, and S- Siemens is, is those are the two names you're thinking of.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, I can talk a bit about Vestas. It's uh, trades over the counter. It's a Danish company. Trades over the counter under VWDRY. Um, this this turbine manufacturer is absolutely massive. I will say when I looked at the stock like last year, I. I was really unimpressed with the financials. You know, growth over the last ten years has not only really hasn't really done much, but now you're seeing uh, really nice growth in the last year or two with uh, renewables adoption really kicking into gears. You're seeing twenty percent revenue growth now, so this is accelerating. Um, they have a really strong position. The tech is really good, and I mean this this could be where it takes off i mean the stock has gone completely parabolic um this year it stocks up massively in the last six months so the chart looks pretty much up and to the left at this point um but one to keep on your radar uh, vestus is a good company so again that's ticker v w d r y siemens of course is a really really good company impressive engineering um and they're in this space as well it's crazy how big these turbines actually are. Uh, when you get up close to them, they are a, f- a feat of engineering. I'm gonna go with a Canadian name, Algonquin Power, ticker AQN, trading the on the New York Stock Exchange as well, and. Algonquin has had really, really impressive growth. Uh, In terms of power generators and utilities, this is the the fastest growing in the group. And they also have not only renewable power gen, but they do water and um, gas utilities as well. So they they have that part of their portfolio. But, wow, the growth has been really explosive. 25% 10-year compound annual growth rate on revenue. Uh, Trades at about six times uh, sales, so it's it's not cheap, but again, uh, it's it's a really solid grower. the the rep, the, uh, the dividend grows like a weed, and uh, so another thing to consider. Canadian name that a lot of people have been bidding up lately is Ballard Power ticker BLDP. They make fuel cells. Just something to look at. Stock's up two hundred and sixty percent in the last twelve months. Uh, this one is is a, a big potential, but considering that it's at six times uh, six billion in market cap, it's really really expensive. So it is a high flyer to look at, but they have a really strong position in fuel cells.
1: Yeah, and something to add to that. So actually, quick correction. So it's not a duopoly for the wind turbines. There's probably a handful of big players. um, So I misspoke regarding that. Uh, But uh, to go back to Algonquin Power and Utilities Corp, I don't know if you knew that, uh, Braden. They own, uh, I think, a close to controlling stake in Atlantic uh, sustainable infrastructure. So if uh, people are looking for even more specific uh, renewable power. Um, that is, uh, without getting into Algonquin uh, Power and Utilities Corporation. Uh, but if people like Algonquin, but they really want to focus on the renewable aspect, Atlantica um, sustainable infrastructure, it used to be Atlantica Yield. Um, it is listed in the US. Um, so that is an option. It pays, uh, I think, 5 or 6% last time I look in terms of yield.
0: Yeah, I was going to say Atlantica Yield. I-, I didn't even recognize that they did that name change to sustainable infrastructure. Um, But uh, whatever gets the ESG investors excited, right? They can uh, get more capital. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. But these yield codes, I mean, they're pretty, pretty safe growers. Algonquin pretty much stayed flat while the rest of the market was dropping off a cliff back in March. So You're getting growth, but you're also getting pretty low volatility as these cash generators, these utilities are pretty stable. So something to consider. They're really good backbones of a portfolio. When you're getting growth at the same time, it's really hard to dislike having renewables in the portfolio.
1: Yeah. And most of them, if you look at the total returns, like the good ones, will give you 10 to 15% a year. So um, especially if I'm thinking about Brookfield specifically, they're looking, their goal is to give shareholders about total returns of uh, 15% a year. So yeah, it might not be at a gain in capital that you would see in other businesses like road stocks, but the total returns over time are very attractive and probably a bit less of uh, heart palpitations to go with it.
0: Yeah. I, I- and it's funny you say that because some of the growth, like just top line on these renewable yield codes, is nothing to sneeze at. So you are getting a little bit of a best of both worlds. If you are a, a dividend investor, this is a place I'd rather be. This is a good transition to just like pure play oil and gas. People are looking for dividend names. Um, I just don't see the the appeal. When you can get some of these renewable yield codes and get a lot more upside. But when people are looking at oil and gas, what are the types of things you're looking at in terms of companies and which ones are better than the others in terms of quality?
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of oil companies in the US and Canada, obviously, and most of them have been hit pretty hard in the last six months to a year, especially with the pandemic. So when you get like demand for oil that just crashes globally, um, that's when it starts to hurt those companies. Um, Some of the companies that fared better than others um, are the integrated oil giants, but also pipelines. Again, they did not fare all that well, but better than uh, the ENP, so the exploration and production companies. Um, So I would Tend to stay a bit more towards those. So, and just some names to look at. And I'm not saying one is necessarily awesome over the other. Just some names to look at if you're looking to do some value play digging in the oil and gas. So you can think about the U.S. Uh, Chevron, ExxonMobil, um, You can also think in terms of pipeline, uh, Kinder Morgan in the U.S. I would stay away from the the ENP, like I said, so the drillers and the ones that are doing the exploration because They tend to be pretty uh, indebted, and they don't have stable cash flows, and they're really dependent on the price of oil. So that's why I would kind of stay away from those. Um, In Canada, the one name that tends to come to mind is Suncor. They did uh, do some layoffs recently, and I do feel for those who uh, were laid off by Suncor, but... It was probably the right move for them to be sustainable, medium and longer term. Um, Another type of business would be Enbridge. Again, high debt, but they have a lot of guaranteed contracts, a bit more stable cash flows. But that is the trend that you'll see in oil and gas regardless at like what type of oil and gas company you look at, you'll typically see pretty high debt. So you want to see companies that is able to at least keep their cash flow stable to be be able to pay off that debt. And honestly, you'll see a lot of them with really high yields. Some have recently slashed their dividends, and some are probably near slashing the dividend. Um, One last thing I would mention about oil and gas is you may want to look a bit more towards Uh, Gas companies so natural gas if you're more leaning towards Things that are more environmentally friendly as a whole, so um, natural gas would be better than than oil from that perspective, or companies that are actively starting to transition away from oil and gas. Uh, Personally, like I mentioned, and we can talk about that a bit more on our ESG episode, um, I used to invest a bit in oil and gas, and just for personal beliefs, I'm trying to stay away a bit more from that, but I do recognize that there is some value plays in there, and even Though we might be kind of past peak oil, who knows? Uh, You know, we're still going to be using oil probably for the next couple decades.
0: Yeah, good point. I mean, if you're looking, if you're throwing out a deep value screen out into the market, you're going to see a lot of these names trading dirt cheap uh, because of those reasons you mentioned. And these businesses are so commoditized that they, they have very little, if no, pricing power, um, more so on the ladder of zero pricing power. And that's just not what I define as a quality business, and the returns have been uh, backing my point there. So if you want some multiple expansion, if you're looking for returns in multiple expansion, you could do quite well with some of these names. I'm I'm I am an environmentalist, but I'm not naive enough to know that we still heavily require oil and gas. Uh, we are not close to getting off of it. it would, I'd like I wish we were closer, but um, let's not kid ourselves. These names are going to exist. Um, Enbridge is a quality company. That being said, does the future for these companies look better than they are right now. And this is just what investing comes down to. If you're running an investing checklist and you're doing like one of these gut checks for you're about to open a position and you're just like on the fence, is this company going to be better, stronger, more profitable, wider moat in 10 years? If you can't, confidently say yes to that that's problematic and oil and gas is just in that uh bucket of problematic for me not only because they're commoditized but does the future look better for them than the current situation and i just don't know if i can say honestly yes so you could find some nice multiple expansion on these companies they're not going anywhere natural gas to your home is essential, um, and not going anywhere, so y- you could find some nice gains on multiple expansion. And uh, I won't, uh, I'll, I'll be very happy for you if you get those gains, but this that's just my take,
1: yeah. I think we're on the same page for that, so uh, let's go to transportation and logistics. I'll, I'll leave that one to you, Braden. I know you, uh, you have a name that you've said before that you really like,
0: yeah. I, I, the CEO of Transforce, or TFI. They keep changing their name. TFI International, ticker TFII. You might have seen them on the road. They got the uh, red swoop over their many, many companies they've acquired over over the past uh, couple decades. And uh, depending on when they painted that truck, it might say Transforce, their previous name. So Elaine Bedard has done an amazing job of tucking in acquisitions in the trucking space They're value investors at heart they find distressed trucking assets and continue to grow the fleet luckily they have had very underpriced growth and they've been in this secular trend of logistics and last-mile delivery, which has been so key for e-commerce take and, and, and adoption. And they've benefited from that while trading at, like, nine times earnings the whole time. Now, all of a sudden... You're seeing this huge multiple expansion in the stock, um, and and the market's finally rewarding their growth, saying, okay, this is an uninteresting, unsexy business, but they're very good operators. They're good at keeping costs down. They're good at finding the right acquisition targets across North America, and uh, it's been quite a performer. I get a notification that it hits all-time highs almost every single day. Uh, It was a stratosphere pick in April the stock is up over 120% since then and uh, close to 170% since the March lows. So uh, it got beat up too much, but now the market's recognizing its growth. I mean, compounding growth on at 11% uh, on revenue on a really unsexy business is quite impressive. Um, so good on them. Again, is trucking going to be earth-shattering returns for your portfolio? Maybe, probably not. Um, but if you're looking for something that is underpriced growth, uh, it sure was a whole lot cheaper uh, six months ago. But uh, I still um, would buy it here and buying it here. So this is a this is a great company.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go in the sexy world of trains, mm, railways. Wow,
0: <laughs> gorgeous.
1: Yeah, I think you guys know with uh, some of our early episodes, I did mention I'm still a happy shareholder of Canadian National Rail. So that is um, that is one that I think is worth a look. It's not trading very cheaply right now, but uh, definitely interesting. The reason why I like railways and uh, Canadian National Rail specifically is... Um, they have really strong modes so they go oftentimes across provinces across states um it's not easy to get the, the approvals to build those railways um so there's a really strong barrier to entries and they're just a backbone of the economy as well so to me um i think it's my Maybe the Warren Buffett in me a little bit. Um, I do love those type of companies. um, So I find are really interesting. So there's CNR, obviously. Um, There's Canadian Pacific. Uh, It's also an interesting play. Personally, I would prefer CNR because it has uh, coast to coast in Canada and to the U.S. Gulf Coast as well. Uh, but CP in Canada, and then the US, you have some plays as well, so you have Union Pacific, uh, you have CSX, you have a couple other uh, more kind of regional railways as well, but I mean, it's really about the mode in those businesses. It won't be crazy growth, um, but they have been fairly resilient to COVID nineteen. They've uh, went down a bit in revenue, but nothing too alarming. Um, the one thing you have to keep in mind, though, they tend to be a bit uh, tied to the economy, right? So if the economy is doing well, they'll be doing well, and if the there's a slowdown, they'll be slowing down. But over a long time, uh, they should provide you with some really good returns, um, and they have a nice little dividend as well to go with that
0: yeah a nice little dividend is a uh, understatement i mean on a yield it's little but my god they've paid this forever um and grown it forever i know union pacific has paid dividend for over 100 years so thank you for picking another unsexy <laughs> slow <laughs> grower uh, this is the definition of a moat like no other in the railway biz. So, I've never owned any rails. I probably should, uh, but I don't. So, good good for you being a shareholder of CN Rail. These, this infrastructure has been in the in the ground for a hundred years, and it's going to be in the ground for another hundred years. So, the definition of stability. I know I'm pretty sure Bill Gates has a outrageous amount of shares in CN Rail. I don't know the amount of that. Can you confirm that?
1: Uh, I really don't. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to to look that up. But I'm pretty uh, sure. I mean, Very, what's, pretty sure? Yeah. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe at some point too, there's going to be um, like kind of electric trains that uh, are can carry as much load. Like I don't know exactly where they are at in there, but um, you know, that could happen as well.
0: Yep, it definitely can. I know there's optimism about doing fuel cell trains as well, because then you don't have to bring overhead electric wires across all of the uh, the rail which would be ideal so that could be an interesting way to f- to uh, decarbonize the industry but yeah it's really hard to not like the rails i'm going to give you two software plays canadian as well descartes systems and canaxis that's uh, ticker dsg and kxs respectively these companies have seen Outrageously good returns lately, um, and what they do is they optimize and allow people to manage logistics better um, as a software as a service biz model. Done very well, grow very fast, and trade at appropriate multiples. It's very hard to find SaaS businesses of these quality without uh, without paying a pretty penny, but uh, something to consider. Simon, is there anything else you want to talk about in these groups? um or we can go to uh to BEP
1: let's talk BEP so when i'm talking about uh BP i'm talking about the limited partnership and BEPC i'm talking about the C corp or the traditional uh C corporation Um, So I've been getting a lot of questions about, oh, should I invest in BP or should I invest in BPC? Um, So I'll try to break it down to you and the reasoning why they created the uh, C-Corp, so BPC. And you can apply most of this reasoning as well for BIP and BIPC, but to keep things so simple... I'll just talk about uh, BEP and BPC. So like I mentioned, BEP is li- a limited partnership. So um, essentially what happens is the um, the dividend or what they call the distribution is a return of capital, whereas BPC is a dividend, so like a traditional uh, corporation. Um, one of the main reasons why BEP went to this structure is because A lot of institutional investors uh, in the United States specifically um, did not want to add um, BEP because of its structure um, to its funds, because there could be some tax consequences uh, depending on what type of accounts people have them in. So a lot of uh, fund manager or institutional investors did not want to invest in BEP for that reason. So management decided to uh, create the uh, BEPC shares. Um, for BPC, it was also created uh, in order for them to facilitate the transaction when they uh, purchased the remaining shares of Terraform Power. Um, so that's kind of a breakdown th- for that um, in terms of the value, so you actually get the same part of the business regardless if you have a one bp share or one BPC share um, so the actual dollar dividend will be the same for regardless if you own BP or BPC so that's really important to understand having said that um, why is there a price discrepancy between the two? Um, it all comes down to uh, offering demand, from what I can understand. Um, so there's a lot of more demand for the BEP shares. So you can look at the daily volume if you look at the uh, US-listed shares. So you have an average daily volume of around 430,000 shares per day for uh, BEP. And for BPC, it's 662000 in terms of average volume. So I took that data a couple days ago. So it's possible it's slightly different. Um, but that's a right there, a good explanation to why um, there's a bit more demand right there. And the shares are more expensive in terms of BPC um, compared to BEP. Um, so what works best for you? So there's a couple of ways to look at it. Uh, first of all, if you're holding these shares in a um taxable accounts, a non-registered account, um, I would recommend that you do your due diligence if you're going to own the BEP shares uh, because there could be some tax consequences for those. Um, if you're going into a registered account, so either RSP or TFSA, um, then it really depends um, what you're looking for. So in terms of the tax consequences, if you hold it in those accounts, um, so I will add a link regarding that. So BEP specifically, the Directly from their website. Um, they say that it is an eligible investment when it comes to RSP and TFSA. Um, and when we say eligible investment, that's actually the, um, uh, the term that the CRA uses for TFSA and RSP. So, and I've personally have shares in both my TFSA and both my RSP for both. The BP and BPC, um, I've had them. I've had them for over three and a half years now, and I've not had any issues. But again, make sure you do your due diligence. Uh, but that is the information straight from BP's website. So once you get the tax stuff out of the way, um, you really. You look at it from, uh, there's two ways to look at it. If you're really looking for income, then of course, BP will be the right choice for you because uh, the shares are less expensive. So even though you get the same cash dividend per share, because it's less expensive, your yield on cost will automatically be higher. So that's the advantage there. So if you're looking foreign income, um, BEP shares are probably the way to go. If you're looking for more uh, capital appreciation uh, based on the small sample history since uh, BEPC has started training, um, they tend to have a premium and you can probably make a case that the capital appreciation will be greater for the BEPC shares versus BEP. Um, at the end of the day, will the um, total returns be better for one way or the other. Um, that is difficult to say. I guess time will tell. Um, like I said, I do own shares of both BEP and BPC. Uh, one of the reasons for that, or the main reason is I had shares of Terraform powers when they, uh, purchased the rest of the shares. So I did get BP shares from that. And the other reason is, uh, when they created the BEP share, BPC shares, um, they gave one BPC share for four shares of BEP when the entities were created. So um, that's how I got those uh, BPC shares. Um, one last thing that I did forget to mention, uh, for those of you who are interested, or specifically if we have some U.S. listeners, so a lot of brokers in the U.S. will actually not even allow um Uh, self-directed investors in registered account to purchase uh, BP or BIP shares because they're limited partnerships. And um, for the most part, they can have tax consequences in the U.S., although I believe BP does say that uh, they shouldn't. But um, a lot of brokers still won't allow people to purchase them. So that is on top of the fund managers and institutional Uh, investors, uh, that's an additional reason for them to create that C-corporation. Typically, the reason why those brokers have those restrictions in place is because there are tax consequences um, specifically for the MLPs, so the Master Limited uh, Partnership. So you tend to see those structures specifically well not specifically but a lot in the pipeline industry so um, there are tax consequences for those Um, as a side note so if you're looking to invest in uh, US pipelines and their MLPs uh, make sure you do your due diligence because I have no idea exactly how it works when it comes to uh, the TFSA RRSP or other types of accounts in Canada Um, so always make sure you do your due diligence when it comes to that but in a nutshell, um, that would be the reason why there is a discrepancy between the both of them um, in terms of price. And um, like I said, and I'll say it again for everyone investing in them, uh, make sure you do your due diligence when it comes to taxes uh, because we are not a uh, tax expert. So I hope uh, hope this helps uh, cra- clarify the question that uh, we do get quite a bit in terms of uh, BP and BPC.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good rundown. I mean... deciding on which one is going to give you better returns. I mean, it's total coin flip and you're splitting hairs at that point. Uh, You got more to worry about in terms of decisions to make than, than that. So I personally would prefer the, the corp, but uh, that's why I own Brookfield asset management for complete simplicity, because (laughs) these are decisions I don't want to have to make because you can own BAM and own all of it and get the asset management business as well. Uh, but I've, I've beat that uh, debate long enough. All right, guys. I think that does it for this episode. Getstockmarket.com will redirect you to Stratosphere's new platform. Stratosphere 2, new platform. Thanks for everyone who already signed up took a gander, tried out some of the tools. There's a stock screener. There's 10-year financials that you can export to Excel. There's a community forum. And uh, yeah, it'd be great if you guys check it out. That's getstockmarket.com. We'll bring you right there. Again, if you are not following the podcast or subscribed on Apple Podcast, that's because our new platform had to make a new RSS feed a.k.a. you got to resubscribe. So go ahead and hit that button. We appreciate it very much, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.